I also, I wanted to say three weeks ago, I mentioned 21 days yeah, of prayer. Okay. And I don't know who all out there has been engaged in that, spending time in prayer for our church, our community, and our leadership. I know for me, myself, there were a lot of interruptions in my plans. We had, I think, two snow days in there. There was a snow day and an early dismissal, and then there was another doctor appointment and all these distractions. And so the plans didn't always go as I wanted them to, but I'm reminded that God wants us to just turn our hearts towards him and that any small step towards him is a step in the right direction. And so I hope that some of you were able to engage in prayer over these last 21 days, but also I hope that you'll continue to be in prayer for your church, your community, and its leadership. And I know I've talked with Sandy and Shirley, and we hope to go on more praying those in the future. So if you want to do one of those, if you want to join us, it is a lot less scary when you go in a group. But if you want to join us, please talk to me or Shirley, and someone will get you connected. And as the days get longer, I'm realizing the days are getting longer and longer every day. I don't know if you've noticed that. But someday, it will be light out after 5 p.m., and when that happens, maybe we can do some evening praying goes, because I know many of you work during the day. But this week, we continue our series in 1 Corinthians. If you're following along in the Bible reading plan that's been in the bulletin, you may have noticed there were a lot of great passages this past week. The Old Testament passage, it was one of my favorites. It, it included Micah 6.8. It says, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And the gospel passage this past week, it was the Beatitudes. Do you know the Beatitudes? It's where Jesus sits down at the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. Falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I don't know about you, but I find that passage comforting. And so I felt like I wanted to read all three to you today. But these passages, they're a dream for a preacher because they're all so great. They're all about justice, mercy, and the way of peace. And so I hope that this past week, if you're engaged in that Bible reading plan, I hope that you were able to get something out of each of these passages. But today, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians, and I'm going to invite you to stay seated, because I want you to listen and reflect on the words of the Apostle Paul. We're in 1 Corinthians 1, 18-31. Hear the words of the Apostle Paul. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are being destroyed, but it is the power of God for those who are being saved. 
It is written in scripture, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and I will reject the intelligence of the intelligent. Where are the wise? Where are the legal experts? Where are today's debaters? Hasn't God made the wisdom of the world foolish? In God's wisdom, he determined that the world wouldn't come to know him through its wisdom. Instead, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of preaching. I like that line there, the foolishness of preaching. Jews ask for signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, which is scandal to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greek, Christ is God's power and God's wisdom. This is because the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Look at your situation when you were called, brothers and sisters. By ordinary human standards, not many of you were wise. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were upper class. But God chose what the world considers foolish to shame the wise. God chose what the world considers weak to shame the strong. And God chose what the world considers low class and low life, what is considered to be nothing, to reduce what is considered to be something to nothing. So no human being can brag in God's presence. It is because of God that you are in Christ Jesus. He became wisdom from God for us. This means that he made us righteous and holy. He delivered us. This is consistent with what is written. The one who brags should brag in the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I remember back when I first started studying theology, my parents were not happy about it. They were the ones who raised me in church. They sent me to church every week. They sent me to a Christian school, but they were not happy when I told them I was studying theology. And maybe if you're a parent, maybe you can relate to this. When I was 18 years old, I decided to go to college. I went to this fancy college across the country. It cost a lot of money, but I was studying to be an engineer. I wanted to be a mechanical engineer, and so with that, my parents gave me their blessing. But it only took about one month in school for me to realize that that wasn't really for me. The classes were kind of early, they were kind of boring, and some were quite a bit hard. And so it only took about a month for me to change my major to something kind of vague. I said I wanted to be a liberal arts major. And my mom, she was like, well, what is a liberal arts major? What do, what can you do with a liberal arts degree? And I was like, I don't know, mom, but it buys me time. I can take these general classes while I decide what I want to do with life. And so, I'm this liberal arts major, but I find that I start liking these theology classes, these theology and Bible classes, and so I call my mom and says, hey mom, I'm studying theology, I'm majoring in religion with a, with a minor in biblical languages, and my mom, she was not happy, because we were spending a lot of money for a degree in religion, and what are you ever going to do with a degree in religion? I think in the words 
of Paul, this was foolishness. There isn't a big return on investment when you're studying theology at an expensive school. What are you going to do with a degree in theology? It's much better if you stuck with engineering because that is a good return on investment. We understand that. And so for Paul, this was foolishness. And so I eventually, I realized the foolishness of this decision. And so I dropped out of school and I went to a state school where I got a degree in economics. It was foolish to study religion. It was foolish to study theology. What was I thinking? What was I going to do with that? And the funny thing about this story is that itch inside of me, it never went away. I kept wanting to study theology. I kept wanting to do this, even though it was foolishness. And so as a stay-at-home mom, I decided that I would go back to school to get a master's degree, a master in divinity. And to the outside world, that's foolishness. And so I don't know if you know this, but pastoring does not make a lot of money. And so it was foolishness. And so Paul, he knows this when he says that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are being destroyed, but it is the power of God for those who are being saved. He goes on to say God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of preaching. The foolishness of preaching. Up here, this is foolish. Jews ask for signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, which is scandal to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. I recently started watching the show The Chosen on Netflix. Someone here recommended it to me, and I've heard a lot of good things about it, and so I decided to start watching this. I'm only about three or four episodes in, and I'm enjoying it. And yesterday I was watching an episode where Jesus was sitting with some young children. The young children kept coming to him, and he was teaching them. And there was this conversation about the Old Testament law. They're talking about an eye for an eye. It says in the Torah, an eye for an eye. So when someone does something wrong to you, you do that thing back to them. But Jesus, he tells them that they're called to be a different kind of people. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, but I tell you to live differently. It's no longer an eye for an eye. And this boy, this little boy, he says, he says, you teach us to be gentle. But the Messiah, he will be a great military leader. That's what he had been taught by some rabbi. And Jesus responds, where does it say that the Messiah will be a great military leader? A great military leader, that would be a great idea. But a great military leader, that's the world's wisdom. That's what makes sense to them. Who in here doesn't want wisdom? Who doesn't want security, protection? Who doesn't want financial security? We want respect and a life that we can be proud of, that we can pass on things to the next generation. Who doesn't want to control their environment? Who doesn't want a Messiah who's a big military leader who can save us from the oppressive government, the overreaching, overarching government? Who doesn't want to create a more secure future for the next generation? Who doesn't want wisdom? But the gospel likes to reverse things on us. It says we preach Christ crucified, which is scandal to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. I liked what Shirley said this morning. 
And then we have this question in my sermon before, I didn't know what all she was saying, but do you ever wonder why you go to church? Sometimes I wonder, why do people show up for church? <laughs> I don't get it sometimes. You could be sleeping in. You could be watching football. You could be going fishing. You could be going sledding, or if it was a nice day, maybe gardening. Why do people come to church? And maybe that's a question we all individually ask ourselves. And I know after COVID, a lot of people have asked that question and they decided, well, you know, I don't know why I go to church, so I'm just going to stay home. And last week, we talked about diversity. Why would you want to go to church with a diverse group of people? Why would you want to go to church with people that you disagree with, that you don't like? Why do you go to church? Tithing is another thing that's kind of foolish. Why do you give your hard-earned money to the church? Why does it benefit you to the world? This makes absolutely no sense. I remember when Austin and I first got married. We got married in 2008, which was during the 2008 economic recession. And we didn't have a lot of money. And so giving money to a church felt like foolishness. How do you give something you don't even have? And I remember when we first started tithing, it was challenging. We started giving 10% of our income, and I kept thinking about all the things that we could have bought with that money. That's when you get your statement, that's a lot of money. What were we thinking? That was foolishness. And it was hard at first, but God also blessed it. And I'm not talking about a prosperity gospel of you give money to the church and God will bless you with prosperity. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I am talking about is what I like to call Jesus math, where the numbers don't really make sense, where you give money to the church, but you still somehow have that money to pay the bills. We weren't missing money, and I've heard often that you can't outgive God. And so I think that's one of the things where it seems foolish, but God blesses it, God provides. I thought about opening up the mic for some testimonies this morning. I've never done that here, and I'm, I don't know that I'm going to do it with the time, but I've wondered, have you ever been blessed by God? Do you know what I'm talking about when I talk about Jesus' math, where the numbers, they don't really make sense? In this world, we're taught to hustle. We're taught to go after the biggest and best job. We're taught to be aggressive. There's a whole cheer, be aggressive, be, be aggressive. We're taught, we're taught to go after our own wants and desires. We're taught to put ourselves first. But Jesus, he teaches us in the Beatitudes, I read it earlier, he teaches us that blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they are the ones who will inherit the earth. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. The gospel message is foolishness to the world who seeks wisdom, power, control, and wealth. God works through the underdog, the minority, the person you would least expect. The people culture wants to overlook. 
God works in mysterious ways, ways that seem foolishness to the world around us. And this, my friends, is all very good news. I don't know about you, but this is good news because it means that God can use me. It means that God can use you. You don't have to be wealthy to be used by God. You don't have to be smart to speak God's truth. You don't have to have power to influence people for the kingdom. God simply wants a willing heart, a yielded heart, a heart that is open to him. God finds strength and human weakness. There's so much beauty in that, and there's that truth that God finds strength in human weakness because then we know that we can't brag about that. I can't brag about the good things that are going on in this church because it's not my doing. I wouldn't be able to do all that this church does. I don't know about you, but I'm not perfect. Is anyone here perfect? Can anyone testify? So that pastors are not perfect people. You can ask any pastor. You can ask Pastor Ralph. You can ask Pastor Jeff. You can ask Pastor Olivia, and they'll all tell you about how God used their imperfection, their imperfect, imperfect moments for the glory of God. God is still working. God is still moving. God is still inspiring, and we're invited to participate in that story, and this is all very good news. The gospel story is not about you and what you can do for the kingdom of God. The gospel story is about God and what God can do through you. There's a difference there. God is the one who does all the heavy lifting, and this is very good news because I don't have very strong arms. And as this says in scripture, that God chooses what the world considers foolish to shame the wise. God chose what the world considers weak to shame the strong. And God chose what the world considers low class and low life, what the world considers to be nothing, to reduce what is considered to be something to nothing. So no human being can brag. There is no one, anyone who brags should brag in the Lord, it said in that version. Next week, we have our annual meeting, and I want to brag about how amazing you all are. I sent a text to our district superintendent, Olivia, that many of you know. I sent a text to her, and I showed her our kudos board out there. I sent a text to her and said, look at this. There's a picture of the parking lot, and it was full. We had so many People on just a regular Sunday, I wanted to brag about that. Attendance has been up. Giving has been up. And I want to brag just about how amazing you all are. I'm grateful for the ways that you have given up your time on Sunday when it's foolishness to come to church. Why do you come to church? But I'm grateful that you guys are here. I'm grateful for the ways you give up your money and resources to support the work of the church. I'm grateful for the ways that you pray for our community, not just here in the church, but actually going out into the community to pray. And I'm thankful for the ways you serve our community. Next week at the annual meeting, you'll hear an outreach report and all the outreach we have done throughout the last year. We'll highlight this all at the next meeting. And I want to brag about you all, but I'm reminded that the glory all goes to the Lord. 
the Lord, the one who brags should brag in the Lord. And so I'm hoping that next week we can brag in the Lord together. So I'm looking forward to that. All glory goes to God. But the mysteries of faith, of church, of giving, all of these things, they'll always be perceived as foolishness to the world that seeks their own selfish desires and power and control. I want to invite the worship team up as I close in prayer. I received a book this past week called Liturgies of Hope. And in this book, there's several written prayers, and I want to close by reading a prayer. It's called A Liturgy for Those Embracing the Mysteries of Faith. So let's hear this written prayer today. When we question everything we once thought we believed, help us, gentle teacher, to be brave explorers of the unknown. When doubts multiply in our minds, help us not to be afraid, but to be curious. When questions arise about your existence, your goodness, and the way of your salvation, help us press in and believe that you are present in the mystery. Teacher, we're longing for someone to give us assurance. We measure you with our own intellect, looking for answers from books, academia, pop culture, and critics. But faith is impossible when we seek it within the bounds of our own understanding. We become fools when we claim to be wise, so help us reach beyond what we know. Help us step into wonder, into learning, into trusting you for flourishing. The adventure of faith is there. We are like sheep without a shepherd, listening to the wisdom of the world, allowing ourselves to be disciplined by culture. Would you liberate us from our compulsive need to understand? Would you marvelously kindle our imaginations? Would you help us hold space for not knowing, for being wrong, for trusting you with what we can't comprehend? Give us a spirit of humility all the days of our lives so that we keep coming back to you. Oh God, echoes of your essence vault across the sky from sunrise to sunset. Help us seek you with urgency and wonder, with childlikeness instead of childishness, until the foundation of faith, sturdy and timeless, is revealed. Warm our hearts to faith and wonder as we wait for you. Though we bring more questions than answers, though the discomfort of doubt threatens to unravel us, in faith we treasure the tension of this promise. With man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. Keep us alive in our famine of faith until we become what we believe. In weakness, yes, we do believe. Help our unbelief. Amen. Amen.